All right, everybody, welcome back to the Crypto 101 podcast. Uh, I'm excited, very, very excited for this one because this is a, a guest who we've actually never had on the show, never had the pleasure of meeting except for just a few moments ago. Uh, but it's a project that Aaron and I have been tracking for a while. Uh, they're a Coinbase listed project. We have the, the founder and the CEO of Live Peer on the show today, uh, Doug Pitcanics. Welcome to Crypto 101. Thanks, Bryce. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to uh, talk about all things Live Peer and beyond today. Heck yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, it's funny because, you know, Live Peer really sits at the crossroads of media and, and video and crypto, right? And so that's kind of like a new thing. A lot of people have been listening to the show. They're like, oh, we get, you know, we hear traders and hedge fund managers and people talking about DeFi and yield farming. And then boom, where does a video platform kind of come in? So I think that's what they're thinking. We're going to answer that question in a bit, but first let's get acquainted. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got your start here in, uh, in the crazy world of crypto. Yeah, sure thing. Um, you know, my background, like many in the spaces as a builder, I've always been building websites, kind of inspired by playing video games in my youth, like many people. Um, studied computer science in college, yep. worked as a software yeah. engineer, <laughs> and then um, shifted pretty quickly to entrepreneurship. So I've worked on three startups now as a founder um, with the same co-founder, Eric Tang, um, who's my co-founder wow. at LivePeer. Um, we built a data infrastructure startup focused on local data that was successful and had a good outcome. And we built this mobile publishing platform just as the web was shifting from desktop to mobile. It was not successful. It, it didn't work out at all, because uh, largely because uh, we were initially building on the open APIs of Twitter and Facebook and Google and Pinterest. And then lo and behold, unsurprisingly, they all closed their APIs, changed their terms on the developers, and we, we didn't get to be a part of the, the future that they uh, kind of created independently in their walled gardens. And we were like, never yeah, again. That's a tale as old as time. That's a tale as old as time. I know uh, a couple other companies that have had built, you know, certain models, uh, you know, ad models on Facebook and then Facebook changes its algorithm or its code base. And then your entire business just goes belly up because, uh, you know, the one thing you were kind of relying upon, uh, that API connection or that sort of algorithmic push, it, it just gets it kneecaps you. And so uh, the fact that you've kind of been through that as well is, is pretty wild. And uh, it just goes to show that you don't want to have uh, your business or, or your project really depend on any centralized intermediary. Is that a little bit of the push that got you into building a decentralized network? That's exactly right. We were, we were as developers, we were right away like, never again do we want to be <laughs> beholden to the, you know, the powers that be at these big tech companies yeah. and the, their whims of what they do or do not allow you to do. And, uh, you know, the timing was interesting because it just so happened that this new open development platform called Ethereum uh, was rising in 2016, just as we were figuring out what we were going to do coming out of that, that startup, startup. And it, it led us down the uh, crypto rabbit hole that, uh, you know, many of us have, have fallen down. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about LivePeer. This is a, a decentralized video streaming network. And, and to me, just, you know, those few words alone make me think, maybe something like YouTube, maybe something like Twitch. How is it similar and how is it different from kind of those two platforms that I think a lot of people are familiar with? Yeah, so um, you know, our mission is to build the world's open video infrastructure, um, infrastructure being the keyword. So you know, LivePeer okay. itself is not a um, consumer-facing app like YouTube or Twitch. 
many of our users, the developers that build on LivePeer are building things that, that compete with a YouTube or a Twitch. And what LivePeer is, is it's a network that powers all of the video streaming underneath the hood. Um, it's the, the backend infrastructure. So, you know, a better analogy might be something like BitTorrent, which maybe you've heard about. It's like a protocol mm-hmm. that enabled file sharing over the internet years ago. We enable, we're a protocol that enables live video encoding and streaming. And we power a number of different applications that um, are more consumer facing when it comes to streaming video. So LivePeer, um, it's a company, I assume, that's responsible for building some of the infrastructure. And then there's other kind of application developers all around the world who are saying, okay, we're going to use this platform that you guys built and we're going to make our own applications on top of it. Uh, Is that right? And they could be all sorts of different video apps. Yep, that's absolutely right. So the LivePeer network okay. is made of hundreds of node operators that run a LivePeer node, and they're contributing their compute power to encode video, and they're earning ETH, and they're earning LivePeer token for doing that. And then our users are applications that look like um, Huddle01. It's like the Zoom of Web3 that DAOs and projects use to host their meetings. Or Wait, what's uh, that one called? I want to call it Huddle01. Um, you know, it's an experience okay. that's similar to this application you, you and I are using right now to have this chat and, and, uh, and host this podcast, right? Um, you know, there's kind of creator-centric applications like the 402 or Bonfire that let musicians like create video NFTs um, and mm. hold, hold concerts and stream them to their fans and their communities, right? There's artist streaming platforms. We have artists hundreds or thousands of them at a time streaming themselves, believe it or not, creating digital art and their fans are watching them and making requests and, um, you know, engaging with them as they're, they're interacting. So think of these as like verticals of Twitch um, that are better for those communities that are maybe crypto integrated, um, that are hopefully helping creators monetize in, in ways that are more healthy for society than the sort of attention ad economy that we see in YouTube or Twitch today. Yeah, yeah, the cancer that is TikTok now uh, as well, which I'm seeing all over the news. <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I'm thinking like, you know, some of the other benefits of kind of a decentralized infrastructure um, for video, you know, that there's that one component where it's like we're no longer beholden to the Apples, the Facebooks, or the Googles of the world. But are there other benefits like for the creator uh, or the producer of the content where it's like they could monetize a little bit more effectively? And is there any sort of benefits for the, the viewer of the video as well? Yeah. So one of the big benefits is actually the cost reduction. So doing live video over the internet is very expensive. If you want to build an app mm. and you want to use Amazon's infrastructure or uh, infrastructure from a product like Vimeo or Brightcove, they're typically charging you at least $3 per hour per live stream just to do the encoding. So you can imagine wow. if you're if you're letting hundreds or thousands of your users on your social app go live at once, that's hundreds or thousands of dollars per it's hour. It's a quick way to a bankruptcy. Right? Yeah. Um, LivePeer is 10 to 100 times more cost effective depending on your, your region of the world um, because our, our node operators have all this video compute power and they... Um, are using a part of their GPUs that would uh, is not are not being put to use while they're um, mining cryptocurrency with those mm-hmm. GPUs actually, and they're able to do this uh, video encoding for ten to hundred times more uh, cost effective manner than uh, you know those cloud platforms charge. So this open marketplace brings a big cost savings that makes it possible for developers to build um, scalable applications and compete with YouTube or Twitch. 
So that's a big value prop. And then I think you you hinted at the other ones around better creator monetization. I don't think that's enabled by live peers decentralized infrastructure directly, but it's enabled by the products that we build that are more crypto native and crypto aware. So you can do things like you can mint NFTs from your video and sell them to your your audience. That's your fans, cool, right? You can uh, token gate who has access to view your content based on what tokens they have in their crypto wallet. So maybe they have to hold an NFT from a specific collection or be part of a specific community. And that's, you know, an alternative to, you know, traditional DRM or pay-per-view type video on the uh, traditional internet. And so I think web three offers these unique capabilities and being like a web three integrated video platform uh, enables all this new experimentation that we, you know, will be disruptive to the status quo, I think. Yeah, no, I, I could literally not agree more. I think that that's a, a, a ton of incentive for people uh, to use the network, to develop on it. Um, and I think as well, if you run a node, um, you're rewarded, right? In the same way that a Bitcoin miner really only mines in, to secure the network and, and earn tokens, Bitcoin tokens for that. There's video miners that are rewarded as well. Could you kind of talk about that dynamic there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so if you're running a node, then you're earning um, kind of rewards in two ways. The first way is through a newly minted live peer token. This is inflationary token and a staking mechanic in our work token model that we um, kind of devised five and a half, six years ago when this network was being built and, and initially launched. Um, so each day you're earning a little bit of inflationary live peer token, you're increasing your ownership in this network. Um, you're also earning the fees that the users, the developers are paying to use the live peer network infrastructure. Mm. And those fees are paid in ETH. So um, you're earning you know, Ethereum for every two second segment of video that you encode. And that wow. adds up over time as well. So you have these kind of two revenue streams that are coming in. And so, you know, people at home, you know, listeners, people in the audience are, are, are listening to this and they might think, you know, hey, I've got some spare compute. I've got a, you know, a couple GPU rigs at home that, that I'm not using or whatever. Could they unlock that as an asset and, and start to monetize that asset by contributing uh, compute to the live peer network? Or is it something that you, know, you have to be on a whitelisted sort of uh, network and, and you, you have to go through all these hoops? Or could anybody kind of spin something up? No, that's right. Anyone can spin something up. Anyone can join um, one of the pools that are operated by... Um, you know, our node operators are called orchestrators. They, many of them operate pools so that even if you don't know anything about this, you can just run the software, connect your GPU into their pool and start earning a share of the, the rewards for video encoding. Um, if you, there's certainly nothing permissioned, there's no allow lists or anything. Um, anyone can stake. And if you're in the top 100 slots, then you can actually be one of these orchestrators yourself uh, and start earning permissionlessly. And the barrier is not that high in terms of cost to get into the, the top 100. So yeah, it's join the community, even though our node operators are competing with one another. Um, it's actually a great healthy community where they're helping one another and helping new people get started as well. Um, if you join the LivePeer Discord from LivePeer.org. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com try. Go to shopify.com try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Livepeer.org. Um, have you seen like uh, any fluctuation in your your guys's kind of usage metrics throughout the bear market? Like, you know, during a bull market, everybody's super excited and they're maybe using the platform a lot. And and when it's a bear market, they're not. Or do you see like kind of nothing in in those sort of correlations? That's one of the good things about being an actual um, crypto-centric project that's that's not serving the crypto industry directly. We're serving the $70 billion and growing video streaming industry. Um, the demand mm-hmm. for video over the internet has only grown tremendously, especially um, with the onset of kind of, uh, you know, the pandemic and social distancing and work from home and entertainment over streaming and everything. And so um, we've, you know, continued to see the live peer um network usage increase. I think last quarter we did over 36 million unique minutes of video encoding. Wow. Um, yeah, I think we did um, 14 million minutes last month, which was our highest month of all time as well. So um, usage has has grown in terms of minutes, uh, minutes streamed. One of the things that I think about with um, decentralized applications, and obviously um, all these applications on Ethereum are kind of what I'm referencing, and, and all the other blockchains, but you know, there's there's this idea of censorship and censorship resistance. And so, um, something that's censorship resistant, meaning you could broadcast a transaction from any in the anywhere in the world to get processed. Nobody could prejudice against that transaction, and you're always going to be able to get something done. But then OFAC came out and they banned you know Tornado Cash, and so everybody who's running Ethereum miner has to only process OFAC compliant nodes. And now it's like everybody has this censorship sort of thing built into Ethereum. What's your take on like managing this video environment in without really creating this overwhelming censorship that that a lot of people really hated about, you know, Twitter or YouTube and all these things where it's like, well, if you say something that we don't like, we're going to take you off. Or how do you think about all this shit? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, a great question because a lot of people come to this space thinking automatically, hey, censorship is bad, right? And we need to get rid of right. rid of censorship, right? But, um, you know, I actually have the stance that if you were to try and imagine what the homepage of a censorship resistant YouTube would look like, or even worse with live video, what, you know, any video feed that you stumbled upon would, would look like. Yeah, it wouldn't be a good censorship resistant. It wouldn't be a bit, you know, it wouldn't be a a lighter place than like the darkness that would be created by the existence of that, that site. Right. So I, I believe in open source software. I believe in open independent infrastructures, but I also think that depending on where you're operating the stack, you have your own um, kind of d- decision points about how to act in terms of censorship. So I don't think any node operator is obligated to encode and distribute video that they, um, you know, could detect was you know breaking a law in their jurisdiction and that they disagreed with or was harmful to society, right? And I certainly think the higher you get up the stack, you have more and more responsibility. So applications have yeah. responsibilities to, <laughs> you know, have have policies that work for their communities about the type of content that they're they're distributing, and then you know further up beyond that points of distribution have an even higher level of responsibility. Um, and so I think that these open networks allow people to build what they want. They allow communities to form and congregate around what they care about that are representative of their values and within their within their laws. But I, I don't think that these... And I think as builders, we need to make sure that we you know, give the appropriate tools to the different actors in the ecosystem so they can make their own decisions and, and uh, you know, preserve their own values. Um, but I, I don't think that we should all just be building for complete censorship resistance of of media because I think mo- moderation and controls have a pretty important role in the uh, health of society as well. Yeah, I think it's always a a give and take, if you will. Um, but there's also another you know kind of component to the whole equation that isn't really present uh, in Web two, right? Web three, all these applications have token holders that kind of sit at the crux of, of these applications and these networks. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what staking accomplishes on the live peer network and, and what it means to hold a token? Can people vote on what they think should be censored? Can people vote on, you know, who they want to bring onto the platform or, or, or what's, what's, uh, what's going on with the token holders? Yeah. So the, um, you know, having a token and staking it on the network is one of the easiest ways to get involved in live peer. And when you do that, you get a share of the rewards that are earned by the node operator you stake towards. It's a delegated model. Um, what's the token model? It's, it's the work token model. So basically every token that's staked on your node entitles you to compete to perform, you know, one unit of work on the network. And so if you have 10% of the token staked on the network on your node, you could compete to earn about 10% of the you know, video encoding jobs that come through and therefore 10% of the fees that the network generates. And so if, 10, you know, if the network generates more and more fees, then that 10% of fees is more and more attractive to you. It's, it's a bigger piece of the pie, right? And so mm-hmm. um, as a token holder, you can stake towards any of these nodes. What are you doing? You're putting more stake on them. You're routing more work towards that node. They'll only actually earn those fees if they can perform it well if they have enough capacity, enough bandwidth, enough encoding power to encode that video. And so if they are not performing well enough, you're kind of, you're under-optimized. You're you're staking towards them, but you're not earning as many fees as you could. And you'd be better off moving your stake towards a node that can keep up with the amount of work that they're winning. And the game theory of this, the net result of this is that, you know, if everyone acts in their own self-interest, 
you'll have steak distributed in proportion to how much work people can do in different regions around the world. Mm. And by the way, why does this even matter besides just routing work towards the right nodes? The stake is providing security. So it's like a security deposit. If those nodes cheat and missing code video deliberately, um, that stake can be be lost, right? And that's how when you use this network, you're trusting one of these random anonymous nodes on the internet to do your encoding correctly. Um, it's because they have something uh, staked down there at, at risk. So, so how do you find uh, you know any random person around the world? How do you find a trustworthy person or a trustworthy validator to stake? Yeah, a lot of that is based on their history of work. Um, so you can see there, you know, the history of how they've performed, how they've earned fees, how they've earned uh, rewards over time, how they participate in the protocol. There's also, um, for better or worse, a bit of a you know social and political reputation to this. These mm-hmm. nodes campaign in the forum, they participate in the community. They're you know they're marketing their services in order to attract more more stake. Um, and so at the end of the day, everyone is working together to make this, you know, the world's most cost-effective, scalable, and highly reliable video infrastructure. That's what will make live peer attract more fees um, and, and, you know, win relative to the centralized alternatives, essentially. Um, and so just, you know, pay, paying a bit of attention, doing your research, participating in the community is the best way to learn. But if you go to explorer.livepeer.org, you can see all the statistics and um, some pretty easy, obvious choices to get started as well. Where would you say, where would you say we are kind of in the adoption curve of decentralized infrastructure for, for video streaming? Um, and I kind of think about like, and I've said this analogy before a couple of times on the, on the podcast. So I apologize for anybody who's heard it, but like back in you know the 1990s, right. You know, early 19 or sorry, uh, like late 1990s, um, Netflix kind of comes out. And, you know, they, they eventually have this idea to like stream video all over the world concurrently, 4K, all that stuff. But in 1999, you know, having that idea, you would have been laughed out of the room. It was impossible. Like you could download a video. It took 10 minutes and it has, you know, 720p maybe. Um, but now here we are fast forward 20 years and, you know, the, the reality is that you can stream video everywhere. Now, with, with something like Live Peer. Where are like are we in that uh, stage right now, like the 1999, where it's like we have these ideas of oh everybody's going to be running a node and it's going to be decentralized, but then it's still going to take another 20 years to actually have this have your vision come to reality, or are we a lot closer? Maybe are we in the 2010s? If to that analogy, that's a good question. We're still early. Like we've seen glimmers via all the successful applications that are building on and built on Live Peer that um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It works. It's cost effective. Um, you can begin to experiment and innovate with new concepts. So I think we're in that like inspirational. It's it's possible phase. Um, what we haven't seen yet, and what I think we we will see, is rather than like everyone in the world immediately just shifting over to use Live Peer instead of Amazon Web Services, for example. I think what you'll start to see is you'll see breakout social applications and creator applications. Mm that are built on web3 primitives like i say the next tiktok is likely to have a the next tiktok scale application is likely to have some sort of crypto or blockchain based component because it's going to be you know a better monetization tool for creators maybe the users the consumers are going to be owners in this platform through tokenization right mm-hmm. that's going to be really exciting and you want like that app to be built on live peer and Filecoin or Arweave or the Graph or Akash, like these other decentralized infrastructure 
platforms. And you know, as soon as that app scales to you know hundreds of millions, billions of users, of course, you're going to see so much so much innovation around other people trying and experimenting with those models. And you'll see you know the existing giant social platforms being disrupted by these new apps that are built on Web3 Infra. And eventually, Web3 Infra just becomes the infra of the next wave of the internet, right? And, yeah, uh, that's literally <laughs> what, what I was thinking. I was going to ask, like, are there Web2 companies that, you know, are either coming to you or you guys are in talks with um, to kind of convert their video infrastructure? And you're like, hey, we could get you these massive cost savings. We could get you X, Y, and Z. Uh, come over to our infrastructure and ditch Amazon Web Server, ditch Akamai or whoever they're using. Uh, is that like a, a go-to-market strategy for you guys? Yeah, that's actually where a lot of the usage on LivePeer comes from today, especially, you know, if you look back three years ago, kind of before the um, NFT boom, which brought like crypto media centric use cases to the mainstream, mm-hmm. there was there were no Web3 media applications, right? But no one was building in video and in, uh, in Web3. So a lot of the usage does come from just traditional Web2 streaming platforms that want to cost savings. And mm-hmm. that's great. But again, I don't think that alone means that those platforms are going to be disruptive to a Twitch or a YouTube. I think it's the ones that are thinking more about at the application layer, like what is uniquely enabled by building on you know Web three connected blockchain infrastructure. So, how do we harness you know the global power of coordination through DAOs? How do we enable better create, creator monetization through NFTs and tokenization? How do we tap into instant global crowdfunding? Um, through smart contracts and, and, you know, how do we leverage DeFi primitives to create better monetization or yield mechanisms for, you know, the owners of our applications and our ecosystems, right? And the people that innovate, at, you know, in social media and creator media using these primitives are going to create powerful new applications, which we, we haven't seen before. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, a, you know, a, a fantastic future. Um, granted, if we get there. Um, how is it building? And I just say that tongue in cheek because we're in a bear market right now, and it feels like you know that there is no light at the end of the tunnel. But of course, there always is a light at the end of the tunnel. But how do you think about you know build? I mean, you've been building this company for for six years, seven years, perhaps. Um, you've been through cycles, right? Up cycle. Everybody's excited. Your your employees probably can't stop checking their damn phones for crypto prices. Market crashes, people leave, and you know wh- what's your thought process about building a, a crypto company in you know in this sort of environment? Yeah, it's a good question. Like you said, it's not the first time we've been through it. And uh, to be honest, whether bull or bear, we probably take a little less note of those market swings than um, other projects. It helps to be pretty mission oriented, um, and it, in our case, it helps to be very technically focused. Right. And so when you're always building, when you know what your mission is, you know what the long term potential is, um, you're less reactive to just like the trend of the day during the highs. Right. So <laughs> we probably missed opportunity because we didn't, you know, pivot the company into being a DeFi <laughs> yield farming machine during <laughs> right, DeFi summer. Right. Left a lot right? of money on the table there, Doug. <laughs> right. Right. But that's just not what, you know, this project was, was about. It's not, it's not why like some of the world's best video engineers have you know, left their video companies to come join LivePeer to build an open video infrastructure. Um, and so, uh, you know, at the same time in bear markets, um, 
it's easier for us just to be excited about keep building. And again, it helps that our, our usage continues to grow and we're a little isolated from just crypto market prices when it comes to actual adoption of video technology. But at the same time, yeah, like, like I said, you know, the highs aren't quite as high, the lows aren't quite as, as low, but you keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, uh, trust me, there, there will be a, uh, like you said, a light at the end of the tunnel. I think, uh, it's interesting to, to think about what that may be. I've seen every single new cycle be catalyzed by some sort of, um, I guess I'll call it like a regulatory arbitrage on top of mm. the latest, um, kind of restrictions to innovation, right? So like the first cycle was kind of, or the, I shouldn't say the first, but one of the first things we've been building was kind of catalyzed by the rise of like ICOs and global crowdfunding, right? And then mm-hmm. uh, once that became, once there was, you know, some sanity around harnessing that excitement, because um, it led to a lot of kind of scams and bad outcomes and stuff, you know, all of a sudden there was like innovation on, um, DeFi and like yield generation as a mechanism to um, kind of create engagement and to bootstrap liquidity, right? And then all of a sudden there was this notion of, oh, well, you can't sell tokens to harness something, but you can sell like, you know, a real object, like a piece of digital art in order to Mm. um, provide utility. And NFTs were, yeah, boomed, (laughs) right? And you see these sorts of things. So I I made a tweet today that I, I thought was kind of tongue in cheek, but I said, right now, NFTs are being hampered by the fact that Apple has a new policy where there's a, um, you know, the 15 to 30% in-app purchase tax, if you're trying to sell NFTs through your app. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, if you can't build a mobile first platform, how are you going to reach a billion users? Um, right. And NFTs don't work if there's that tax on every transfer. Right. And so like, what's the innovation that's going to get around that and lead to the next sort of, um, you know, innovation and shared ownership and digital ownership and, and whatnot. And it's not all a game just to get around regulation or corporate taxation or whatnot, but it does catalyze a lot of new attention and interest into the space. Yeah, no, fascinating. I I think there's got to be some type of renaissance of like web-based applications or something, because at the end of the day, you know, the, um, the Apple, right. They, they have a, a, you know, a vice grip, if you will, on so many different industries because everything goes through the mobile app store. But like if we kind of had, you know, a renaissance of web-based apps, but again, people are on their phone, they're on the go. So they need those mobile applications. So who knows? Maybe, maybe we just buy all, we all buy Apple stock and just say, forget about it. But uh, <laughs> I think, I think there's going to be everyone some technology. The, everyone buys the Solana phone. Yeah. Oh yeah. See, exactly. The Solana phone might actually be a response to uh to the whole Apple thing. And there could be, I mean, even though they announced it, you know, many, many months prior to this whole thing, but do you think that there's going to be decentralized, what like uh, hardware and stuff as well to be able to facilitate this future? Yeah. I mean, I think you're starting to see it around the edges, right? There's a great project called Helium, which distributes a um, kind of Wi-Fi router or, or low row on router for IOT connectivity. Um, talk to a cool project, uh, that is distributing hardware that plugs into cars in order to capture data and give you a good dashboard of your car's usage. Mm-hmm. And it's um, kind of crowdsourcing all this data via decentralized network um, called Dyno. So um, yeah, you're starting to see open hardware. You're starting to see open communications networks. Um, you're seeing decentralized storage and compute and video streaming and whatnot. So you know it is early days to put all these pieces together, but uh, you know some of the building blocks are there. 
Love it. Well, hey, Doug, is there anything that I left out? Uh, any, you know, maybe big milestones you guys have reached or some big upcoming uh, things you want to talk about before we let you get back to building the future of media streaming? Yeah, I mean, I think if anyone is um, building a, a social app, a creator app in the space, we'd love to help, you know, get video enabled in there. Check us out at livepeer.studio, which is the best place to get started for, for builders. And if you want to, you know, put some GPUs on the network and run a node, check out livepeer.org, join our Discord community, and you'll be up and running and earning money on Livepeer in a day or two. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, I'm going to get my nodes set up. Uh, I hope all my Crypto 101 listeners do as well. Uh, Doug Mechanics, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we hope to have you guys back soon uh, with some more big updates or whenever you just want to spitball. Sure. Thanks, Bryce. Great being here. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.